Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the show today. And a special shout out to my friend, Yoshiko Dart, who actually sent me something I will be reading uh, on the show later on. But you know, we've had a change. We've had a big change here with the recent election. And many of you have called with questions and uh, wanting to know how we should move forward. But before we do that, I am so excited to have Christine Griffin as my guest on the show today, who is the Executive Director of the Disability Law Center in Boston, but formally with the Office of Personnel Management. And Chris, why I'm so excited for many reasons, but I was invited to the White House only a few weeks ago to celebrate the achievement of the over 100,000 hires. And I know you were absolutely instrumental in that. So first, congratulations. And then could you share with our listeners what that meant, how that happened? Oh, that's great, Joyce. I know that what I, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be there myself, but um, great event. And, and what's really great about it is that they were achieving, uh, they were celebrating the, the success of achieving the goal in that executive order of hiring 100,000 people with disabilities in the federal government as federal employees. And in fact, I think, didn't they exceed it? Yes, 150. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is which is just great. So, um, you know that great executive order, great that they achieved uh, those results, and uh, now the goal is to keep it going. So, uh, we'll have to figure out um, how we can get the next administration to maybe issue a similar executive order or somehow uh, send a directive to the, the federal agencies that they have to keep going and, and keep that uh, momentum up because, as we all know, um, you know, what is measured is treasured and uh, we can only achieve these goals if somebody is, is keeping their eye on the goal and making sure that it gets achieved. Right, and when this first started... I'll never forget this, Chris, uh, when you were the assistant director at OPM and you started, I don't remember, how did that start that you started checking in to the percentage of employees with disabilities in the federal government? Well, you know what happened? I was a commissioner at EEOC and I had uh, a meeting with the director of the federal employment uh, section of the EEOC. I was meeting with all the different uh, departments to really to learn what everybody did. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there and he was telling me what they do, which they do a lot of things um, related to equal employment opportunity within the federal government. And, you know, the filing of complaints with the federal government, EEOC and hearings. And so we were having a whole discussion about that. And at one point I made a comment that the Fed, now I don't know why I, I thought this, but I said, well, but the federal government is a, is a good employer of people with disabilities. And I'll never forget, his name was Carlton Haddon, and he looked at me and he said, whatever made you think that? 
and all of a sudden I realized I, I had no real data or answer except that at one point in time the federal government had hired me out of college. And so I, I, I had to really sit and think, well, you know, while they hired me, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me with my disability in the federal government. So he went on to explain that the federal government wasn't the best employer of people with disabilities, and he thought they could do a lot more. And that really kicked off a whole campaign, as you know, when I was there at EEOC. Well, then I know you found out the percentage. I forget oh, when you first found exactly that right. out. When did you first find that out? Well, that was back in, like, 2006, and when I learned how dismal it was, and when I learned that some agencies barely hired anyone with a disability whatsoever, um, I found it really disturbing that we as a federal government were telling the private sector that they should do more in this area, and yet, you know, we weren't doing it ourselves. So that kicked off the um, my my project, which we call LEAD, Leadership for the Employment of Americans with Disabilities. And we really went on a campaign out of EEOC talking to all the federal agencies that would listen to us and, you know, about what they could do better in the area of hiring more people with disabilities. I learned a lot. I learned about disability program managers and, you know, what agencies had them and how that worked and how a good disability program manager could really help find more candidates with disabilities for uh, federal jobs. And so it, it really started me on a path of looking at federal employment in a way that I never anticipated uh, would happen. Well, and that's when you found out it was less than 1%. Right, right. The, the, the percentage was extremely low. And uh, we started actually talking to agencies about what the percentage should be. And we even, you know, for people with significant disabilities, or what they refer to as targeted disabilities, uh, we were saying at least get to 2%. And that was the campaign, was to get to 2% with targeted. But overall... uh, we ultimately got uh, President Obama to sign an executive order that, that put a numerical value on, on hiring people with disabilities. And, and you know what? That is so great. That was so great. That was such a great day and a you know, great celebration. But that uh, 20th anniversary yes, of yes, the ADA, yes. 20th anniversary, and you've got to say the Obama administration, they did fulfill that. Yeah, they did. They did. They signed the executive order. They kept their eye on the ball and and made sure that people in federal agencies knew that they, you know, this was something that they were going to um, that they were going to keep, you know, their finger on, and that they wanted to make sure that there were routine. Uh, regular reports about how many people were hired, things like that. And so the message to the agencies was not only do you have to do this, but we're, you know, we're going to keep watching what you're doing. And so, again, you know, what's, what's measured is treasured. And so once the federal agencies knew that everyone was serious about this and that they had to achieve it, then, you know, that's when more hiring happened. 
Um, and I'm, but we I'm have very, to keep that going. <laughs> yeah, we do have to keep that going. And I have to tell you that uh, you would be so happy how still to this day I frequently meet people that that's how they got their job. Yeah, isn't that great? Yes. Oh, it's so great. Yes, it, it is. It really is. The fact that we've been able to, I mean, really change people's lives by getting them a job that has good benefits, uh, finally getting them, you know, really out of poverty, getting their family out of poverty, and giving them an opportunity to, you know, to work in a meaningful way. Because, you know, we both know it's work is not only about net worth, it's about self-worth. And so mm-hmm. having people... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really have better self-esteem and all of that is, is very important. And, and frankly, having more people with disabilities in the workplace, for me, is something that changes everybody um, and educates everybody about what people with disabilities can do and not focus on what they can't do. Right, and <coughs> I love it that the people that got these jobs, many of them were professional, you know, in professional areas uh, because of how you worked with uh, the chief human, uh, what are they called? Chief human chicos. Chief human, yeah, chief human capital officers. Yeah. Personnel directors for all of the federal agencies. Yeah, and you worked with them, and they came up, you know, with different areas that they Mm -hmm. needed people, and because of that, the people that got employed with disabilities really got good jobs uh, in the federal government. And I'm not kidding. I'll be somewhere, and someone will come up to me and say, uh, I know you worked with OPM, and I just want to tell you I got a job here or there, J- just like the Air Force yeah. or unbelievable yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. places. Uh, the only thing I hope we can change in the future is the targeted disabilities because whether it's in the private sector or federal government, that really is the hardest. Yeah, yeah. Well, for people that don't know what we're talking about, so people with the most significant types of disabilities uh, were a measure that EEOC long ago uh, designated as something that they would watch because while you can hire people with disabilities, if you're not hiring people with significant disabilities such as, you know, I forget what the list is entirely, but it's people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who have uh, severe mobility impairments, amputations, epilepsy, diabetes. If you're not hiring those folks, um, then you're not really getting to uh, the heart of, of employment of people with disabilities. And so that was a measure that they always looked at when they were looking at the status of employment of people with disabilities within federal agencies. They would look at an agency every year. Overall, did you hire people with disabilities? How many people with disabilities do you have on staff? And then they would ask specifically how many people had uh, significant or targeted disabilities. And this was all done also by uh, self-reporting. so when you were hired by the federal government, you were allowed an opportunity to report uh, whether you had a disability or not and if it was a significant disability. So, you know, while there's some underreporting because people choose not to, I think for the most part, you know, people like myself and other people would 
fill out that form and designate that that the agency you worked for had, in fact, hired you with a significant disability because it was important to capture that data. And uh, so, but I agree with you. We we need to we need to keep uh, the focus on that because you know once you stop looking at, at at something like that or stop measuring it, then you know no one thinks it's important anymore. And, right, uh, and it's yeah, We can easily go backwards. Mm-hmm. So while yeah. it's great to achieve what we've achieved, we need to make sure that uh, it not only you know, doesn't go backwards, but that we advance and actually hire more people into the federal government. Because yeah, it can well, be done. We just proved that. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it was, uh, as I said, before we go to break, congratulations to you because your leadership, you made it happen. Well, thank you, but you played a big part in it, too. People well, know that. I, I, you, I played you, a you part, but well. you were the leader. And I, uh, really, that is... <clears throat> From less than one percent to high, you know to more uh, people working for the federal government now than ever before, that is something that has your name on it, and it always I will. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to get ready to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, I'll tell you what we're doing today. We're talking to different disability leaders about a forward plan in the new administration. And we'll be talking about that when we come back. But we've been talking to Chris Griffin about the great work she did at OPM. And we will be right back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show we are talking about moving forward in this 
2017 and beyond with the new administration. And we have with us Chris Griffin. But I want to tell all of you that I did talk and have contact today with Yoshiko Dart. Uh, you all oh, know right. Yoshiko, and I know you all know who Justin Dart is. And, you know, he passed away several years ago, but Yoshiko has never stopped her leadership. And I said, hey, you know, what would Justin tell everyone right now? And she sent me, you know, some information, and I'll uh, read another quote later on. But this is what she sent me that he said and would say right now. Life is a series of eternal struggles. Get used to it. Winners are those who never, never, never give up said Justin Dart. And boy, does that fit right now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. That's a great quote, and that's a great, you know, um, great idea to think about uh, as we go forward because, you know, while some of us may have wanted another candidate, the fact is right now that, that, you know, the next president uh, has been chosen and... uh, we, we we have to figure out a way to uh, work with this administration because so much of what we depend on as people with disabilities in this country, you know, is, um, is either uh, provided by a federal agency or, you know, ultimately funded by a federal agency, whether it's Medicaid, uh, funded health care or, you know, housing uh, subsidies from HUD. You know, we, we need them to understand what the needs of the community are and how they can best help us. And nobody's yeah. in a better position to do that than people with disabilities themselves. Right. And I, I would have to say this is a time that if you don't speak up, no one will know that. You know, That's right. for for people that did not happy with this uh, election, you know, the next president, and you are one of those people, and there are many that have concerns from the disability community. If you don't speak up, as Chris said, then everything will just go, and it'll yeah. just go without yeah. us. I mean, I can't yeah. think of any other thing you can do than try to work with this administration to uh, make things happen. And, Chris, I know you've seen this uh, throughout your career, but um, the disability community, what do we have to do to get unified here? Well, I think we all have to, you know, let go of the past. And, and, uh, you know, while, you know, there were some negative things said and done during a campaign, there isn't a campaign you can look at where that hasn't happened. And even when it's been a candidate that we liked or whatever, there's, you know, things happen during campaigns and things are said during campaigns that don't necessarily mean that's how uh, the person is going to uh, feel or behave uh, in in the actual presidency. So um, I think we need to let go of the campaign and, and really look for opportunities to work with this president and his administration, again, to make sure that we are heard as a community and that we, um, 
you know, have true access to the things that we need. And that we get them to realize that, you know, just what we were talking about earlier, employment of people with disabilities is extremely important, and it's very important that the federal government lead the way on this issue. So um, that means that they need to, you know, use whatever mechanism they want to use, whether it's an executive order or whether it's a directive to the agencies. But we do want them saying to the federal agencies that we believe in employment of people with disabilities. We believe that it's important, and we want you to keep, you know, working towards a set goal of hiring more people with disabilities. Well, someone just said to me, Recently, like recently this morning, um, well, why would we, you know, how is that going to help? Why would we bother? And my answer was, well, if something's wrong, how are you going to know it's wrong if you're not involved? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. if you're not involved, yeah. Yeah. how would you know? There, I mean, Chris, you were EEOC commissioner, so surely, um, you know, you're all about ending discrimination and, you know, it, mm-hmm. and with your current position. I mean, you're all yeah. about this, yeah. but how would yeah. we do that if we don't know? Right, and that is why you stay involved. You know, let's be honest. I was a Democratic appointee under the Bush administration in the at the EEOC until President Obama was elected in, in 2008, and so... You know, there were times when that was difficult, but I was still able to forge that that um, that program that we call LEAD, and I was still able to use that position to talk about more federal agencies doing a better job of hiring people with disabilities. So, you know, whether it's your candidate or your party, it really doesn't matter. I think... Um, you know, Hillary Clinton said it best in her speech the day after the election when she said, look, he's the president. We have to keep an open mind and open communication to um, to be able to have input into this administration. So we have to be involved. We have to figure out ways to to be in touch with this administration, and we have to we have to actually get the right people in this administration to listen to us so that we are able to give them the input that they will need to do a good job on our behalf and for us to be able, be able to secure the things we need from the federal government. Right. Well, let's, I think we can uh, have an advisor here that could give us some help with this. Tony, are you on the line? I sure am, Joyce. Tony Quello, how are you today? Great, great. Good. Hi, Chris. Hi, Tony. How are you? Good. Well, I just want to say first for everyone, Tony Quello, author of the ADA, former congressman, as a matter of fact, whip in Congress, uh, you know, chair of the Epilepsy Foundation, chair of AAPD, but chair campaign manager, campaign manager of the Gore presidential campaign, very involved with the Clinton campaign, but very involved with the Bushes. So I'd have to say... I don't know anyone that would know as much as Tony does about how this uh, all goes down. But, Tony, we've had a lot of questions about how did this happen and what do we have to do to move forward. So um, let's start with your view of how did this happen. Well, thank you, uh, Joyce. appreciate that. 
um, uh, Chris and Jenny uh, also helped in regards to the Clinton campaign. So my hat goes off to them for all their work and time that they spent to organize the community and to get us as engaged and as accepted in the campaign as we were. Um, in regards to what happened, it's um, fairly obvious. Uh, Trump got his supporters out all across the country, and we did not. And so we got a lower turnout in a lot of the areas. Uh, if you just take um, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, um, 107,000 votes for all three states uh, would have flipped it back to Hillary. 35,000 votes per state, in effect. Um, and so uh, our people, and you look at all the exit information, uh, our people didn't vote in the numbers that they voted with, with Obama. Now, some people say that Hillary wasn't as popular as Obama. But I take the view that, as you heard me and I know Chris has heard me, is that this was a critical election for uh, our party. It meant control of the Supreme Court. Uh, it meant control of the Senate, uh, whether or not we could pick it back up and be in a good position to pick it back up. Um, and if you did that, we would then be able to um, uh, control the destiny for those of us in the disability community. We were positioned as a result of all the efforts that everybody uh, played in this campaign to, major, to make major significant uh, differences for our community uh, in the Clinton administration. So, uh, I'm, you know, look, at, I've been through a lot of campaigns. I went through the, the of course, the uh, Reagan campaign where it was disappointing to lose that campaign. Uh, Jimmy Carter was, uh, is, still is, a wonderful human being. And um, at the end, because of the Iranian helicopter first, and uh, Reagan got in. And he made huge changes, uh, uh, things that he was uh, trying to get done and did get done in the first two years. And then what we did um, as Democrats in the House, I was a member then, what we did then was to organize ourselves so that politically we the House. And um, I was campaign chair for the House Democrats, and we were... Hello? We ended up picking up 26 seats. Um, that, that's what we need to do now. We need to get zero focused on what it is that we can do to win the Senate. That, in my view, is the key. And obviously our issues, as I've heard a little bit of what Chris was saying, we need to organize, we need to be helping people who get in positions that impact our community. Um, but we need to also stay organized, be aggressively involved, and be willing to get organized so that two years from now, we take back control of the Senate and, in effect, be a veto on anything that the administration wants to do thereafter. So well, you know, Chris, something that Tony said when I was talking to him earlier uh, is the whole issue 
of voting. And I know, you know, we've got to get people registered to vote and yeah. to vote, such as in the next uh, uh, two-year election, or we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, and, Kristen, you yeah. have a campaign about that? Yeah, we worked a lot on, uh, especially in the state, on getting out the vote, on getting people registered, getting them to vote, getting them for the first time in Massachusetts. We had early voting, so you didn't have to wait for that one day and vie for the transportation to get everybody to the polls on one day. We had 11 days prior to the 8th where we could vote. So there were lots of really good opportunities for people to get out and actually vote. And I wish we did have a sense of, you know, our community, whether they, you know, voted in higher numbers uh, this election or not. I don't think we have that. And I'm not sure if anyone, maybe Rutgers or somebody is is collecting that information. But, um, you know, I, I think the bottom line is no matter who didn't get out to vote, a lot of people didn't go out and vote. I saw a statistic the other day that 46% of people who are eligible to vote, didn't get out to vote, just didn't choose to vote. And uh, while I understand they may not have liked either candidate, the reality is I think it was Oprah that said, doesn't matter whether you like them or not, do you agree with their um, their issues and, and with what they're trying to do? You know, what resonates with you and your, uh, and your family? So, um, unfortunately, people didn't vote. And Tony, Tony, I know you talked about that also, uh, that you thought that was obviously critical. Yeah, I think what we, what we know supposedly is that one million people didn't vote. And I, I, this is the thing that troubles me um, in that, you know, it isn't just the person uh, to be president, but it's what they intend to do when they are president. That affects us as citizens, and so it's not popular. We want the largest country in the world uh, and the most prestigious country in the world. Who do you want in charge of that? Um, not as a person, but in making decisions that impact each and every one of us—women, uh, disabled, people of color, gay, whatever. Who is going to best serve you? in these areas. And um, a lot of people made a decision on personality, which in effect defeated us. And so, um, you know, I take the view elections over, now we have to move on. Um, I think picking a new DNC chair is an indication of where we're going. Uh, I will say that one of my concerns is that I hope we don't go back to the 1970s uh, when we didn't accept the verdict um, of what Reagan did, and then we basically uh, put people in uh, leadership positions uh, that didn't reflect uh, the total country uh, or the country that was turned off of us, and we, in effect, kept losing uh, uh, national campaigns. So it's a time to sit back, think about the right thing to do, and let's get going. Let's get organized and and, uh, get people... Uh, running for office in the different uh, areas, uh, get the yeah. bench filled. Those are the things we got to do. Yeah. 
I agree, Tony. I mean, getting more people with disabilities involved in, you know, local, state, national politics, right. getting people with disabilities elected to office, you know, that's that's how we're really going to change things. That's right. That's we can't we can't if we worry only about uh, we'll never get there because you can't change the issues if you don't have the people in place. So the right. people in place right. are critical. Yep. Yep. And I think if people with disabilities see more people like them running for office, yep. uh, you know, they'll they'll have a more of an interest in voting. They'll feel like somebody does care about their issues. Well, I think what? part of the thing is that there were a lot of hope with Hillary. I know a lot of people in the community uh, yeah. were hopeful with that. Uh, some probably didn't vote for because they didn't like her. Uh, but now if uh, Trump goes through with some of the things that he's talking about, they may change their minds two years from now. Um, yeah. And so I just think it's important for us to to stay focused but realize that the issue is we got to get more people voting for us. It doesn't do us any good to demonstrate and yell and scream if yeah. we don't have yeah. uh, the right people. In. Yeah. And I hope every one of those students out there demonstrating voted because if they didn't, um, you know, they frankly don't have a right to actually do it. Well, that's where I am, Chris. I take the yeah. view, yeah. Uh, and I always have, is that uh, you have an opportunity in this country, and a lot of countries you don't. In this country, you have an opportunity to be a decision maker. And if you decide not to vote, then don't bitch about the results. Yeah, that's um, right. And and it's it's a it's a it's a great privilege we have as Americans. And a lot of people just ignore it, uh, and then complain later if they don't get done what they think should be done. Um, oh. It's part of the, it's that you have the right to, to vote and you also have the right not to vote. And I say if you exercise your right not to vote, that's fine, but don't bitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I guess, well, let me you ask know, Tom, you, let me ask you this question then. Uh, what do you think would be the next step? I mean, Tony, do you think we need to wait? <clears throat> to see what happens? Um, what do you think? What's your opinion? Well, I think that the decision uh, in picking the next PNC chair becomes important because it sends a signal to uh, the American public what the Democratic Party is all about. Um, there's also, uh, instead of going ahead with leadership uh, votes in the, in the House, it's been delayed another week. And I assume it's because of people want some changes and so forth. But I think that what's going on is that we have to be real. We just have to understand just having the best position on something doesn't mean anything if we don't have the votes to implement it. Uh, you can stand for all kinds of wonderful things, but if you don't have the votes to implement it or the votes to stop the negatives, then what good does it do for you to uh, be organized? You've got to get out there. And we've faced this before. It's nothing new. We've faced it before. Um, Republicans this time determined to make a difference because of what they felt was happening to them. 
So they really got out there and they voted in mass numbers and other record numbers in a lot of states and a lot of areas in these different states. And so, um, you know, people will say, well, we, we got the popular vote, but we didn't get the electoral vote. We got the popular vote. Well, you know, I ran the Gore campaign and we got the popular vote too, but Gore didn't govern because that's not the way our system is set up. And that's why it's important to have a DNC chair who brings about uh, party discipline, party interest, party loyalty in all kinds of states and not just on the East Coast and the West Coast. And, Tony, the DNC chair, uh, for our listeners, I mean, what, what, is that, what is the responsibilities of that role? Well, that responsibility is here they um, raise the money for the party. Uh, they organize in regards to the issues that the party will pursue. Um, and they're uh, a spokesperson for the party. Now, the leadership in the House and the Senate, the Democratic side, are also. But the DNC does that. They then organize on the states because the DNC is the national party. Then you have the 50 state parties. And so then, and they're under that umbrella of the DNC. So it's getting the state parties organized so that we have candidates, that we have people who can run, who can win, and get people exercising and energized and, and helping us. The one thing that I will you know, say that while we should get organized and or stay organized, we, we are organized, we should stay organized, we then need to be conscious of the opportunities that are presented. I take the view that Trump's going to give us a lot of opportunities in personnel appointments, issues, and so forth. And at those times, we should be ready to pounce. We should be ready to, to let the public know about the mistake or how it impacts them. And, and that's the, the business of politics. And, and we have to make sure we understand what the business is and deal with it and be effective. Yeah, and Chris, you mentioned about Hillary Clinton before. Don't you think that Secretary Clinton and President Obama really handled this graciously, um, yeah. advising you know the country and the transition of power? Yeah. No, I think they both handled it, and I handling it extremely well. And um, you know, while. You know, I know, as she said, this is, you know, pretty disappointing um, to a lot of us. Um, you know, we have to face reality. And as Tony said, you know, we need to work within the framework that we now have. And we need to figure out how we, um, you know, not only change things uh, in the Senate and the House as much as we can uh, impact, but again, figure out how do we, you know, how do we work with this administration as they appoint leaders of these federal agencies that we need to rely on, um, whether it's Social Security, uh, Medicaid, for health care, or Department of Labor for uh, wage and hour issues. Uh, we, we need to be able to um, educate these new folks about the community and what our needs are and, and how they can uh, best support what we need. 
Well, Tony, you, as I said, have more experience than anyone. I mean, you ran a presidential campaign, but you also were there when Reagan uh, won. My question is, like, what did you do or what, what advice did you give people to get organized? What, what did you do? Well, basically what we did was um, we got very involved in every vote on the House floor. And so that we were willing to criticize um, Republicans for voting what we felt was against the interests of their own district. And so we were very critical, organized that way, and, and we made headlines in, in their districts and so forth. Um, we, the Republicans got uh, furious with me and all the efforts we were doing in this area, but we kept it up for two years. And by the end of two years... We basically had um, members of Congress from all over the country that had positions in opposition to things that Reagan and his people were advocating, and we picked up the 26 seats. Now, don't forget also that uh, Obama won overwhelmingly, um, and it was a direct result of what people perceived the disastrous presidency of George W. Bush. And so, consequently, he won in a lot of uh, congressional districts, the Senate won in state legislatures, and so forth. If if Trump does a lot of the stuff that he's advocating, in two years we'll have that opportunity if we're prepared. Um, And that's why I say it's really critical that we be prepared, because this, historically, when a president's elected from a particular party, the next election, which is the, the by-election, uh, next election, the White House loses seats. And so that's historical. That is going on. So the odds are is that no matter what Trump does, he is going to lose seats in two years. And the question is, are we prepared to uh, make a difference in regards to a lot of the candidates? Are we prepared to take them on if they vote against disability issues or they vote against Social Security or they vote against things that we feel are important in targeted congressional districts. We can win back the Senate. We can win back a lot of legislatures if we coordinate and do it right. Um, and so it's, it's playing smart offense as opposed to just yelling and screaming. It's making sure that you yell and scream, but in a very coordinated and effective way to make points with the people in each of these uh, areas. Well, that is great advice. By the way, we have another disability leader that's going to join the conversation. Uh, Jonathan, are you on the line? Yes, Joyce, I'm here. Hey, Jonathan Young, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Pleasure to join you and uh, Tony and Chris and others on the call. Yes, uh, well, Jonathan, you were very involved in the campaign, and you are a national disability leader. What we're talking about is moving forward, you know, how we're going to move forward the disability community uh, for, through now through 2017. So, uh, you know, what do you think about that? Well, I, I hate to be in such agreement with Tony, but I'm going to have to, um, you know, largely agree with um, the things that have been said here. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'd say, 
being political as we must is not something that comes around every four years. Uh, we need to be doing this day in and day out so that we're ready to take advantage of opportunities uh, as they come you know, each and every day and certainly with the midterm elections. Uh, I think we've been pretty good as a community being active around presidential elections, maybe not quite um, where we ought to be on midterm elections, so that's a real opportunity um, coming up. And then I think, as Tony had said, um, I think we need to have a principled opposition uh, and not reflexive op opposition, and by that I mean, you know, there may well be some real opportunities. You know, uh, sometimes when you've got a Republican president, there are things that are more able to be supported by a Republican Congress than if it were a Democratic president, and so there may be things that might well be similar things to what Obama has tried to do or that um, Hillary Clinton would have tried to do that if Trump tries to do the same thing, actually might have a chance to gain traction. And so, you know, infrastructure development or some other items. So we should be prepared to seize whatever opportunity we, we can where it presents itself. Uh, but I think as uh, you know, Tony and Chris are also suggesting, you know, I'm like everybody else quite disappointed in the outcome. We need to be prepared to be strategic and organized in resisting things that really, you know, go to the heart of compromising who we are as a community. Yeah, the question is, what is your advice of how to do that? Uh, I think uh, I know that there's been a big effort around this campaign. I think we need to make sure that that effort is, uh, you know, institutionalized in some way so that the, the types of communications we've had as a community and across disability fashion, that that doesn't, you know, evaporate in some kind of, you know, disappointment about the outcome but instead uh, we keep all of those networks um, together. And I think we need to be uh, prioritizing issues as a community, you know, looking at some of the priority directions that Trump is setting out. You know, there have been some big headlines today around healthcare, not just Obamacare, but around Medicare and Medicaid. And I think you know, those kinds of issues we need to uh, you know, put our heads together and uh, you know, put our resources together to figure out how we're going to, to, to channel um, our approach to those issues. So, Tony, hide, I guess is my, my my first thing. So, I think you know, building off the Tony effort that Tony and Chris and others led, we we need to make sure that that endures and lives on, and we all stay active and coordinated as a community. Oh, I think that is a great idea. And uh, Tony, you know, is that something that you were planning, uh, keeping that disability community, which, wow, I mean, it became so large and so supportive on Facebook and in fundraising. Uh, is there a way we can keep that going? Well, we're talking about that right now, Joyce. We haven't made a final decision, but uh, we're talking about what role should be played. And also we're talking about, um, are there new voices in the disability community that ought to play bigger roles? Um, you know, it's the, a lot of us have been around for many years, and um, new voices come on, and they're not afraid to do X, Y, and Z because uh, they don't pay attention that we did it X uh, time ago or Y time. Just go for it. And a lot of times that enthusiasm, that passion prevails. And so I am one of those, as you know, I always try to bring in young uh, people to anything that I'm involved in. And so this may be an opportunity for us to bring in some young people with disabilities uh, who want to play a role, 
and can play a role. And uh, those of us uh, uh, with gray hair uh, can be in a position to be helpful and, and uh, advise or do whatever might be needed. But I think those type of decisions need to be made and uh, all of us working together. But remember, new young faces, voices are critical to anything you ever are doing. And yeah, so yeah. in our community, the disability community, a lot of young people out there, for example, I'll just pick one name real quickly, uh, Colleen, who did our uh, social media. Uh, she's fantastic. A uh, little person who very bright, very aggressive, uh, took us from zero to over 100,000 people on Facebook page, um, which was the second highest of any affinity group for, for uh, Hillary. Um, and, uh, and she did it quickly with the help of about 30 people, but she led the effort, uh, never been involved before. Uh, you know, Chris is the one who recommended her to us, and she's fantastic. So it's people like that. Uh, there's a guy from San Francisco, Dylan, who, who was the administrator for all the task forces and so forth. Another young kid with a disability who, who is enthusiastic and aggressive and, and is making a difference. So when we're thinking about what to do next, the mistake is for us uh, old hats to think that we're the only ones who can do it, is, is to reach out to new people, young people, to get them engaged and involved in how do we bring that all together? That's the things that, uh, that we're thinking about now is how best to get that done. Yeah. I, Joyce, I agree. We saw passion out of some of these young people with disabilities that we need to find a way to, to harness and, and keep it going. Or not harness, let it go. Uh, but we need to keep them involved and we need to keep them engaged because they, they are the future. Yeah. And um, I would have to say that we've all learned enthusiasm makes a difference. And as Tony said, uh, you know, getting young people involved, because there's one on the line you got involved, Tony, and that would be Jonathan. So, you know, look what happened. It works. Having that passion works. I agree, Tony. Jonathan's a good example. Yeah, and you know what else? You said, uh, both of you, about seizing the opportunity. Uh, Jonathan, you're still with us, right? Yes. Jonathan gave an unbelievably powerful speech here in Pittsburgh for Disability Mentoring Day, and he talked about that, making the decision, taking the opportunity, and guess what example he gave? It was when, Jonathan, you can you can. You can tell them what you told everyone. <laughs> oh, sure. So, you know, I had uh, broken my neck in a wrestling match, and I'd been invited to uh, receive an award from the hospital where I'd been a patient, the National Rehabilitation Hospital, and uh, I didn't know too much about what this all was except to say yes and was surrounded by some pretty um, um, you know, famous folks, uh, you know, Ray Charles among them and Tony Coelho, and after the award ceremony, Tony came up and said that he was impressed with my story and wanting me to come work for him and to send him a letter. And I, you know, kind of thought at the time, well, you know, uh, you know, is this a joke? And I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe that's just, you know, politician speak. But I thought, well, you know, uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I wrote a letter and 
sure enough, he wrote back and invited me not just to be a um, uh, an, uh, an intern in the, the, the constituent office, but actually in the majority whip office and let me be a fly on the wall through speaker rights press conferences, the Democratic caucus meetings, all the majority whip meetings. And that's really what led me down the path of um, being engaged politically. And I look back at that moment and think, you know, I very well could have thought, ah, he was just kind of saying that to be nice and joking, and it wasn't really real and not had followed up. And, uh, you know, my life would have been much different had I not done that. So you know, that's just one very small personal example of, um, yeah, uh, taking, advantage, taking advantage of opportunities where we, where we see them. Well, and Joyce, I want to just say one thing. You know, Jonathan is a great example of a young person who has taken advantage of an opportunity presented. That's all we can do is provide opportunities. People have to take advantage of Jonathan did, and look what's happened now. He's uh, very successful in the business world uh, as a result of, of all this. Um, but I think the other thing is that uh, keeping this thing going for a bit, I am very much, as you know, Joyce, into... If you don't give people the opportunity to fail, they will never succeed. And so what that means is there's a lot of times uh, those of us with uh, long teeth basically know what you should and should not do. And as a result, we don't let people fail. Um, We basically tell them what they can and cannot do. That's a huge mistake. Uh, what you got to do is you got to give people the opportunity to get out there and bust whatever and and make a difference. And sometimes they're going to fail. You know, so did I several times. But uh, I was always encouraged to to get out there and do things. And so that's what I, what I like about new faces or young faces. And it doesn't always have to be young, but new faces uh, in that they don't know what they don't know. So consequently, they push with passion to get things done, make a couple of mistakes, but then they really succeed if they have that luxury to succeed by making mistakes. And I would, I would know that, that I would know that very well. Um, and that is how Tony is. That is what he believes. I know we're getting here to the end of the show, but I want to thank Chris Griffin, Tony Quello, and Jonathan Young. And with the three of you, I have no doubt we're going to move forward. Thank you so can much. I make, uh, can I make one quick thank addition? You. Yes. I was just going to say I completely agree with Tony on this. And one thing that I think is important, too, um, you know, I think many of the things I've learned best in life were because of those failures. I think it's really important for us as a community, knowing that that's part of what um, uh, having opportunities means, we need not to be quick to sort of toss people out when they do make mistakes. So those are opportunities for us to rally around and help people, um, you know, take as much advantage of that uh, learning opportunity as possible and keep moving forward um, as, as leaders and as participants, uh, but not just think that because somebody made a mistake uh, that they uh, need to be kind of set aside. Uh, that's just part of, all, part of the human experience and part of who we are, and we need to support people in that process. Wait, Jonathan, you got more fired up from when you got on the phone. Must be that <laughs> Tony Chris power. All right, hey, we got to close the show, but I will end with this quote that I think sort of sums up what we've been talking about today, and that would be the only thing to fear is fear itself, said President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. 
This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.